0: You've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton.
1: And welcome to another thrilling, splentacular episode of the Paranoia Podcast. Uh, Ron is not here. I don't know where Ron is. Um, I think he may be hiding in the woods. I'm not sure. I will find him. But uh, this one's just me. I'm Olaf Phillips. I'm the uh, publisher of uh, Paranoia Magazine. I'm also a writer, researcher, and a general purpose uh, conspiracy dork and a conspiracy geek. So tonight, I will cut to the chase since there's nobody to have any banter with. I will cut to the chase tonight. We have on Phil Learness, a filmmaker extraordinaire. Um, He's made a bunch of movies. I'm not going to get into it. Uh, I'll let him do that because he can do that better than I. But uh, he's made some very, very interesting movies, uh, one of which uh, I love to death. Actually, two of which I love to death. Um, And one that he's making that I'm very curious about. So with that being said, Phil, welcome to the Paranoia Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, Olav. The last time we spoke at length, uh, at least with microphones present, uh, was when you were a guest on my podcast, uh, Chilpak Hollywood Hour. And oh, we, record, we recorded... We
1: recorded a to listen to it.
2: Everybody uh, needs well, to listen to Chilpac Hollywood Hour. Uh, if only they could at this moment. Uh, so I'll start here. This is a good place to start, Olav, and you can talk me down okay. on my... Uh, oh, oh my. Off my paranoia if if you want to, but last weekend, so we have we 've been doing this show since May of two thousand and seven uh, myself, along with Dean Hagland, uh, everybody knows him as uh, Langley, one of the lone gunmen from the X-Files. And we've been doing this show without fail every week. Uh, A couple of weeks it looked like we weren't gonna be able to make it uh, ourselves. And we had guest co-hosts, but we have provided at least an hour of free podcasty goodness each and every week. And last Sunday we were recording our show and while talking about it uh, or while recording it, we got onto the subject of AI and it wasn't planned. And we just started talking about how AI kind of creeps us out. It kind of frightens us a little bit. And sure. um, I and I shared a particular story uh, from my experience with the Sci-Fi London Film Festival and about how okay. AI had infiltrated their programming in a really terrifying way not movies about ai but ai itself um interesting and so i shared that story and we were just recording it and this was not live it wasn't streaming live uh but of course we were recording via skype dean now lives in motown detroit motor city and i'm in los angeles so we record via skype and I uh, finished the, the recording the show, uh, edited it a little bit, put the, the music on the beginning and the end, outputted it uh, from GarageBand, uh, levelated it, converted it, then exported it from that computer and uh, went to upload it to our site to find that our site no longer existed. It was right. gone, our website that has hosted our yeah. show. yeah 12 years gone just utterly gone and so we've been spent we've spent more than a week trying to uh trying to get back up and running uh fortunately we do host our shows also over at uh, blog talk radio so that episode is available And the Stitcher subscription still works, but the iTunes subscription does not work, which is connected to our site, chillpackhollywood.com. And we're not going to do a new show until we get that uh, site back up and running. Um, So, anyway, explain to you what happened? Not the the hosting company. have Have there been explanations? Yeah, the hosting company said that uh, our WordPress was out of date. Um, So for some reason, between Sunday noon when I started putting in the metadata and uh, Sunday late afternoon when the show was ready to go up, uh, apparently at some point in there our WordPress became so out of date that the entire site had to vanish. Okay, um, I don't understand. Would any explanation of that make sense? Um, am I wrong to feel paranoia that it involved us talking about the dangers of AI?
1: <sighs> no. Um, and, and have actually, I now
2: have I-, I now cursed? Have I now cursed your show?
1: No. I don't think so. We're too amateur.
2: <laughs> anyway, no, so... I'm, I'm so interested
1: the... in this. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm interested yeah. in this. So right. the, only thing I, the only thing I can think of is that they switched it off. And they said they didn't switch it off?
2: Yeah, although, you, you know, now... Look, you under, You know how I feel. Uh, there's a line in uh, one of the movies I think you were alluding to that you enjoy, uh, the sequel to which I'm working on now, is uh, my one feature length documentary that I made. I've directed seven feature films uh, and dozens of documentaries, but most of them were short subjects. And I've, I've directed one feature length documentary. And uh, it ended up being this epic that was equal parts uh, co- uh, conspiracy, consciousness, comedy, uh, about what it means to search for the truth. And I followed Dean who has become so closely identified with the world of the paranormal and of, uh, right. conspiracy through the X-Files. And I followed him into that world, hoping to find out what it means to search for the truth in a world where you can find almost violent disagreement, no matter the topic. And, uh, and there was one part in it where he, uh, he, you know, reunited with his co-stars from The Lone Gunman, Bruce Harwood and Tom Braidwood. And there's this really nice moment that Bruce uh, talks about how he doesn't look fondly on uh, most conspiracy theorists, actually, not never mind, the theories, but but because he tends to overlook. he he thinks that they tend to overlook how much of what appears to be conspiracy are just, and you said I could swear. So I'm going to uh, quoting him, but just how much of what lends itself to seem like a conspiracy is just gigantic fuck ups. And then there is a conspiracy in a sense that so many people will go, Oh my God, we better not let people find out you do this. I'll do this. And now we are conspiring together to cover something up. And 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 I I do like you say what you just said about somebody switched it off and I suddenly go, okay, you know, that feels right. Somebody switched something off accidentally and doesn't want to admit it. And so now it seems like this really dark, sinister mystery instead of just a human fucking up and not owning up to it.
1: Well, I mean, I, you know me, you know me. I mean, me personally, I, I follow Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor came from William of Occam. I mean, basically, it's the simplest answer is probably the right one. To put it in so many words, and, you know, even as a conspiracy geek, you know, you have to admit sometimes that that something happened because of a screw up, and and then they're trying to cover up the screw up, and then that's what as you said, inevitably produces a conspiracy. I mean, there, there are things that, that are actively covered up. There are things that are, you know, good fodder for conspiracy theory, but a lot of it is just screw-ups, <laughs> I mean, to be perfectly honest. In fact, the Aurora is a classic example, the Aurora uh, plane. You know, why do we know what the Aurora is? I mean, one of the, one of the fallacies of conspiracy theories in general is that you can never get the 100% truth. You, you get little bits and pieces, and then the game is to try to put the pieces together like a jigsaw puzzle and to make yeah. something out of it. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. But well, in, the, I... in the black project world, we know what the Aurora is because, well, we call it that, because somebody in the accounting office, in the DOD, in the Pentagon somewhere, when they were doing the Air Force budget, which has to be published, uh, they forgot to redact the name of the project, and so it was called the Aurora Project. <coughs> and they screwed up. So now we know what the Aurora is. You know, I mean, well, we know the project name. So, well, you know, it, I, I like what
2: is, you I, I like what you said and what you described about the the jigsaw nature and putting the puzzle together and our our impulse and our desire to do things like that and. And I'm also a big one for words, you know, for for words, we use specific words and they should have, uh, you know, not necessarily a specific meaning, but we should we should recognize that we're using a word and not another word for a reason. And I I think there's there's uh, some something we should look at about the difference between facts and truth. And they get used interchangeably a lot. Uh, And uh, just because something's a fact doesn't mean that it is Truthful, that it contains or leads to any inherent truth. And so, too, just because something is not factual doesn't mean it's not truthful. And so, this was part of, uh, you know, the search of how a documentary that wasn't by intent an exploration of consciousness, but how it became something about consciousness. Uh, And I should have realized that point about the distinction between facts and truth, uh, having been a filmmaker for so long and indeed having made documentaries. Because as you know, uh, so many documentaries uh, are, are scripted, They're scripted in advance. And a lot of time they're scripted from the point of view of the the people putting up the money, the entity, the people, the corporation. And that's not to say that they're propaganda. I mean, because they're they're documentaries that might be, you know, have nothing to do with anything that's even controversial. But the point is that they're not what we grew up thinking of as documentaries, which which are, I always thought were explorations. I wonder if being our marching order. Um, but also, just because a film is fiction, right, doesn't mean that it doesn't contain a great deal of truth. This is why we're drawn to storytelling, after all. We want to be entertained, and we want truth revealed to us in an entertaining fashion. So- Well, you know, uh,
1: you know the, when I was in anthropology school, I think it was the first time I ever really witnessed that. And I was taking a cultural anthropology course, <clears throat> and the uh, my professor uh, she she showed us a film and you know a lot of times in anthropology school you watch a lot of documentaries and and ethnographies because you know you can't innately go out to the field because anthropology by its nature is a study of non-western societies and cultures so i can't just get on a plane and go into the amazon well So you rely on, on films that are made by people who did. And one of the most famous guys who did that is a guy named Napoleon Shagnon. Uh, I want to say he was at the university of Chicago. I don't know where he is now, but he was at the university of Chicago. He um, specialized in a group called the Yanomami. And she showed us this movie and she, she kind of prefaced it by saying, look, you know, this is, this is the fundamental problem with anthropology and, by its example, it is also the fundamental problem with conspiracy theory, documentary making in general as well. So it's called the Axe Fight. Basically, what happens is Shagnon lived with the Yanomami and he's he's laying in a in a hammock because they sleep in hammocks. You know, in the Amazon, you don't really want to sleep on the ground. <clears throat> I mean, watch naked and afraid and that'll prove it to you.
2: Right.
1: So he's so he's laying in a, in a hammock. Um, and sitting around doing nothing. And this guy uh, gets really pissed off. I mean, I rate pissed off. He grabs an ax and he attacks this other guy with the intent to kill him. So Shagnon obviously reacts, grabs the camera um, and films it. And he's trying to understand why the guy wants to kill the other guy with an ax. That's why it's called the ax fight. And they get into a fight there's some blood, nobody dies, but it's it's kinda bad. And he he basically re edited the thing about five times, five or six times. And each time he edited it, the story changed. Mm, and yeah. and at first it it was edited from the point of view of this guy had just said something bad to the other guy, gets pissed off, wants to kill him. Eventually, through Shagnon's own manipulation of the film that it becomes about this guy was basically hitting on this other guy's wife and said something about her, uh, in a, in an inappropriate way. And the the husband became enraged and wanted to kill him with an ax. And through the five, you see the same film five times, but there are five different stories. And when you get done with it, Because you don't speak Yanomami, you're really unsure what's going on because you're relying on what they were telling him, what he understood because he speaks Yanomami, and what his intent was with making that short documentary. So it's, you know, you watch the process of it being skewed and changed to fit a narrative because fundamentally the first one was right. The guy said something that pissed off the other guy, and he went and tried to kill him.
2: But by isn't the this the day, also? The it, it, is... Isn't that very much Rashomon? I mean, isn't that what we see in in the movie Rashomon? Yeah, I mean, it's uh that, that it's interesting. Now, how about kudos to you? You don't have a co-host on this one to point this out, so let me do this. But I mean, <laughs> I don't know a lot of hosts that are dropping both Napoleon Shagnon and Occam's Razor this early in a show. And that's to be commended. <laughs> I mean, just the words alone, uh, the way they trip off your tongue. And uh, I too, of course, am a fan of Occam's razor, but much more so after they added the second blade because it cuts that much closer to the truth. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. Oh yeah, I, I <laughs> with the, lub- with the school, lubricating
2: so. with the lubricating strip that keeps the truth and my skin baby smooth. Um, that's right.
1: You've got to lubricate it. You have to lubricate it. It um, has to be lubricated.
2: It has to be. Well, it kind of does, doesn't it? I mean, it's sort of to keep it, to keep it running smooth. Um, okay. So, sort of, well, thank you for your kind words about the truth is out there. Uh, we we are, in fact, still after all these years. I mean, I think we, we finished that, what was it, about 2011? And here we yeah. sit, uh, 2019. And I have thought for years that I was really close to finishing the follow-up uh, the truth is still out there. and uh, But finally, it looks like within the next two months, we'll have a cut locked down. Um, That's great. It's it's just that, boy, the world seems to change so radically that what I hope to accomplish and, and say with the film uh, ha- has come into greater and greater focus. Um, so I'm grateful that I had not finished it at any earlier point. Um, so, you, you have to you have to he, trust your innate sense of timing when telling a story.
1: That's true. But did he ever see a UFO? <laughs> because I know that was one of the big things is that, that Dean had never seen a UFO.
2: So two things that Dean uh, never saw. So there is a lot about UFOs, of course, in the film. And uh, also yeah. no small part about ghosts in the film. And... Right. Uh, and... We wanted to see UFOs, or so I thought. We went to Yakima at a time of high UFO activity. Uh, got a uh, you know a, a penthouse room at a hotel downtown in Yakima. Uh, you know, not a not a town of not of tall buildings. So when I say penthouse, it's probably like you know fifth fifth floor or something like that. But so that there wouldn't be any other buildings blocking it. And uh, set set up the camera. And the plan was we take shifts and just watch. We're pointed, you know, in the direction where people had been reporting activity. Uh, So it's my turn to to nap. And I wake up a few hours later (laughs) and Dean's sound asleep. And he hasn't even fallen asleep on his watch. He's gone to bed. And I... And the camera's off, so it's not, you know, I mean, and I said, Dean, what are you doing? I thought it was your time to watch. He said, yeah, I realized it ruins the movie if I see anything. Uh, Because then he becomes the story. And so I thought that was interesting that as much as he wanted to see, like, you know, like Mulder, I want to believe, Dean wants to see. And... I'm sort of a person who doesn't want to see, uh, I've like, I had experience that Dean witnessed. He witnessed my experience with a ghost and he had to remind me of it years later when a show on haunted Hollywood was being produced and he thought I should be a part of it. So I was, but, uh, I had put it out of my mind because I'm not someone who wants to see, because my fear is I won't be able to stop seeing. And also quite frankly, I've got so much on my plate just trying to be a decent human being that I, I, I can't add making sense of a vision uh, to that to-do list. That, that said, Dean did, while touring with the film, the truth is out there, at a screening, I'm gonna say in upstate New York, um, he witnessed a, 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 a ghost. A ghost approached him during a Q&A, and he thought, oh, this person's coming down to the microphone to ask me a question. And the person kept walking, and the person walked straight through the stage and out through a back wall. Wow. That's impressive. So w- stay tuned on the UFO and, uh, and keep your eyes on, on the skies, as they say.
1: Well, I will say that once you see one, you do see more of both. <coughs> once once it happens, you know, you, it's inevitable. You, you continue to see them. I don't know why, but you do. Have you mm. gone to East SETI? East SETI? East SETI, yeah. It's in Trout Lake, Washington.
2: No, I don't think so. Trout Lake, Washington. Uh, there. Where is this? Uh, Triangulate it a little bit better for me.
1: It's on the border of Oregon and Washington.
2: Okay, I think I Trout Lake sounds so familiar. Um, I mean, I know that the gorge area pretty darn well. I grew I grew up uh, in in uh, central Washington, and. Uh, but I um, but I don't think I've certainly never been there at night at a trout lake.
1: So there's, so it's where Ma- Mount Adams is,
2: and there's a. Oh, <clears> that's <throat> oh, that's the, the, that's the big. Well, yeah, Mount Adams is one of the big uh, yeah. one of the big spots, and okay. I think you can can't you? I think Mount Adams is one of the peaks you can see from, from uh, Yakima, if I'm not mistaken.
1: I I don't know about that, but you can there's a guy there named James Gilliland and he has a, he has a kind of new agey ranch and you can, you know, you can rent a room or bring a tent or bring an RV or whatever. And you go out there, (coughs) you go out there at night and you can see strange stuff. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty rational human being, despite being a conspiracy geek, I'm, I'm fairly rational. And, um, I saw things that I cannot explain. I saw things that defy logic. I mean, I've seen plenty of things that defy logic, but never, never for hours and hours and hours, and the magnitude of what I saw—it just it, it boggles your mind.
2: Well, you know, uh, one of the things that's in Yakima, uh, or just outside Yakima, and I wish I could remember the name of it now, but it's you know, it's it's one of these unmarked uh on a map, you know, uh basis. It's the the Northwest's uh Area 51. And indeed we photographed it from a ridge uh and within seconds one of those black army helicopters was chasing us off.
1: That's interesting. Well at Gilliland's ranch, um are you, you're familiar with Stargate, right? Sure. Okay, so I, I saw, so you, you know how it's it's a circle, and it has a, the kind of event horizon, the, the kind of jello thing in the center. I saw something like that in green, hanging in midair, and I watched things go into it, but not pass through it. And I saw things come out of it, but not pass through it, and it hung there for a long time. And then I saw, the only way I can describe it is as as like a garage door. Like a massive hangar door uh, open on the side of the mountain. And you could, you could see the light inside of it. And you could walk, you watched the door lift. <laughs> and then I saw lights coming in and out of it. It's, I mean, there's a lot of experimental black budget aircraft flying over it. Those are pretty obvious. They fly in the same pattern they fly the same way, you know, you can, you can tell that stuff, but the the stuff around Mount Adams, it's unreal. I even saw Bigfoot there. I mean, it's, it's, it's unreal. You cannot explain it. It's just, it's bizarre. You got to go. You got to film. Where, it.
2: So we do, uh, there's a lot of stuff, uh, in that area, in the, you know, the, oh, the yeah. Cascades region and, um, hell, David Lynch made a mint off that area, let's face it. Uh, but, uh, uh, we, uh, we, so we cover that, uh, went to a place that's now defunct, sadly, but, uh, S- Seattle Museum of the Mysteries. And, uh, like I said, we got some footage of that, that, uh, that base, that secret base. And, and yeah, Mount Adams is one of the mountain peaks, uh, that's visible from Yakima. It's about 50 miles, uh, to the Southwest of, um, of Yakima, so it's a fascinating area, and um, uh, I forget where, what I what I wanted to share with you about that. Um, oh, except that, yes, uh, one of the most, uh, not only compelling, but just entertaining stories in The Truth is out there, uh, at least where UFO activity is concerned, is uh, told by Tucker Smallwood in our movie, and, what you described seeing is very evocative of what he described. And uh, for people who are interested in, 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 uh, seeking it out, what he's, he talks about, uh, Tucker, in addition to being just a, a, an acclaimed and, and recognizable actor was, uh, a, a decorated, you know, combat veteran of, of Vietnam. And, um, uh, many years ago and many years after his active service but but m- many years before we made the movie he went uh camping uh with several of his old uh uh military buddies uh and they went up onto the ridge uh, outside uh, area 51 and this was when you still could go up there and camp oh, yeah. and uh the, the stories ab- about what they witnessed are um quite spectacular it's really it's 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 really good stuff and he recounts these stories in his book uh, return to eden i would be remiss if i didn't plug his uh his work since he contributed so much to ours but um Absolutely. he's uh he's he's a fascinating genuine truth seeker and i know you agree with me about that oh
1: yeah wholeheartedly and he's an amazing actor yeah yeah, I love him yeah. And, uh...
2: Well, I think for the same reason, I think he's an amazing reason for the same reason that he's such an interesting storyteller, which is that he is a genuine truth seeker. He wants to find the truth. He wants to find the truth about a character he's playing. He wants to find the truth in a story that he's been hired to act in. He wants to find the truth about a place that he finds fascinating or a topic that he finds fascinating. And he approaches these things, all these things uh, as free of agenda as I think any human being could be beyond wanting to know the truth, because the truth will set us free.
1: Maybe. <clears throat> I don't know if it'll completely set us free. The truth tends to uh, to cause problems, too. <coughs> Definitely. Got, I, don't get me wrong. I'm all for the truth, but... Sometimes well, I don't, it, know. It, I it, don't
2: know. I don't know. Does does the truth ever cause us problems, or does our innate, then knee jerk question, "Well, what do I do with it?" get us into problems?
1: No, it's it's no. The truth the truth is pure. It, it's our innate in incapability of processing the truth. I think that yeah causes the problems. That's that's the Brookings study, right?
3: The, right. You
1: know, when they did the Brookings study, that we can't handle it. You know, we can't. We can't digest the uh, the the firm uh, knowledge that you know UFOs are real and whatever the Brookings study said that we would have a societal collapse.
2: Well, uh, wow, was, you, you uh, know, w- 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 one of the yeah. things that Tucker t- talks about that to him was uh, as amazing, if not more so, than the genuine UFO uh, sighting that he had. Uh, and of course, as as you know, UFO doesn't mean Alien, uh, necessarily, Uh, but uh, he had a genuine UFO experience. And when you hear what he described, you have no doubt it's one of these things that, uh, you know, like uh, we know when someone's being authentic. Uh, I always hate the question about what do you believe? Do you believe this person? Do you not believe? You know, it's like we know when someone's being authentic with us. That doesn't mean that we would have had the same experience that they had, that we would have seen it the same way, that we would have taken it in or understood it the same way. But we know that when someone is sharing something with us, we know when they're being authentic with us. And uh, Tucker Tucker is nothing but authentic and really it's compelling what he describes. But just as compelling, are these sightings he had of this giant owl. And as he talks about, prior to this camping trip, he's not sure he ever saw an owl in his entire life and he'd been around and seen the thing or two. Uh, and yet on this trip, he saw this gigantic same owl miles away from different sightings of it multiple times. And he thought, well, that's astounding. And years later, when he was uh, really uh, delving into uh, studying Jungian psychology, uh, he came across Jung's description of screen memories. And uh, these, are, these are memories like what you were describing that our own psyche creates to protect us from something we were not prepared to see and something that would shatter our own, our psyche. Right. So right. Uh, one of the most common of these screen projections, these screen memories, according an to you, is an owl. And here we are right back to David Lynch again, who, of course, right. made great hay in Twin Peaks through the log lady with the phrase, the owls are not what they seem. And, of course, if you remember Twin Peaks, a lot of it revolved around Operation Blue Book. Mm-hmm. So I love that he's really tapping into that uh, that um, phenomenon. Um, so uh, anyway, that's all. That's all in the truth is out there. But uh, as you know, of course, we cover we cover very wide terrain in terms of the topics explored.
1: Yeah, I remember when I saw that. That I thought to myself, well, that's probably a screen memory, and it? The thing about screen memories is they're not always because your psyche can't handle it. They're also implanted. They, there are cases where the owl, icono- the iconography of the owl, that kind of <clears throat> archetype, that it was implanted into people's memory to obscure what that owl actually was. And they they messed with people's minds to
2: insert the owl motif so it's it's bold well i think well i think well it makes sense if look if 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 jung Ye- is right that it's a common screen memory that our own psyche creates well then what better one to plant exactly that's right absolutely um, and it's, it's it's you know it's why, getting back to, you know, it's, it's, it's a frustration I have, um, well, with, with, with many storytellers in my own field in filmmaking. Um, and then uh, we can say that it's my frustration uh, with uh, many uh, conspiracy theories. And it's my frustration with many, hell, uh, uh, policy Decisions on the part of governments or politicians is the the the, the basic misunderstanding of human psychology so often. Uh, you know, an understanding of psychology is so helpful. And if you truly find human beings interesting, and I mean, maybe it's going too far uh, in my own field to expect storytellers to actually love their fellow human beings. But I do at least demand that you find your fellow human beings interesting. And if you find them interesting, why would you not want to avail yourself of, of understanding human psychology?
1: Well, I think, I think that, that on a larger scale, I think the, the other thing that, that we forget as humans when we're interacting with other humans is the, the notion of the social contract. You know, that the, with everybody we know, and every interaction we have there, you know, you're forming a social contract. And I, I think we forget that these interactions are a social contract. So, you know, there's a level of respect and, and innate trust that's lost because of that. So.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I, you know, it's one of the most moving, uh, Parts to me of, of truth is out there of, of my film is when uh, Bill Tiller, right, the one of the founders of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, when he's talking about um, how to him we're all you know we're all children here to teach each other and, and the world is a, world is a classroom and uh, it it's such a refreshing philosophy um dean was kind of stunned you know by it because everything that bill kept expressing was how his work and his his investigations and his research to him everything that he did was was an act of love and dean was so shocked to hear a scientist speak like that and uh yeah, you know and, he, and and he and he said uh and you know he said to dean well you shouldn't be i mean it, it shouldn't be an exception i mean uh, I'm here to learn from you as much as you're here to learn from me, you know, and it was just so refreshing.
1: Yeah, I can see that. But, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, as the researcher, right, that, that I have a, an innate social contract with the people who are interested in my work to either tell a good tale or to explore it scientifically, I tend to lean toward taking the available facts and telling a good tale and say, look, you know, you can prove some of this. You can't prove up other bits of it because, to, in my estimation, I can never tell you 100% with any conspiracy theory what the truth really is. Right. So, the best I can do is I can take everything that I've seen and learned and apply it and express it to you. And then the onus is on you to come up with your own reality of what that, all that means. But that's my contract with you is that I'm going to tell you the truth and you can make it whatever you want out of it, but I'm going to tell it to you in an entertaining way. And I think that's what gets lost is that a lot of times, and, and I think you see this in film too. A lot of times you have somebody who comes out of the gate and they have an experience and they, and, you know, these experiences, they change you. They fundamentally change your perception of reality, your understanding of the world around you. But once you write it down or you film it and then you express it, the the first one is the most pure. It's a it's a moment in time, whether it's written or filmed or whatever or explained. It's a snapshot. Right. And what happens is people say, oh, wow, that's amazing. Oh, gee, you wrote a really awesome book. Oh, wow, you made a great movie. When's the next one? And you say, okay, well, I'm going to work on it. And so you seek. At that point, you may have accidentally seen a UFO, a ghost, or accidentally made a really great movie. But you 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 then look at it and you go, well, crap. You know these people are expecting stuff from me, so you have to one up it. And I think in that one-upping it, which is a, a very human flaw, in one-upping it, then the more you're one-upping yourself, eventually you lose sight of the original problem. You lose sight of the original intent. And then it becomes about money or it becomes about notoriety and narcissism or it becomes about something other than what it was. And you see that a lot in the conspiracy world and in the ufo world the cryptozoology world you know somebody will see something and they'll talk about it they get some notoriety about it and then it's like okay well now i've got to make the the next one better you know my my personal opinion is i'm i don't do that for me personally i just say you know what i saw this here you go it happens again well i saw that here you go but a lot of people you know they some money comes in or some notoriety and then they just, they keep needing to escalate. And I think that's why you get a lot of charlatans. And I don't think they ever start out that way, but they end up being that way because of their, you know, they trigger some narcissistic response or, you know, the money's good or I don't know. But I think that's a flaw in, in conspiracy and ufology, cryptozoology.
2: Well, and it and it couples with, you know, a dangerous uh, reality of how we are wired, the psychology of human beings uh, that is served, unfortunately, by uh, technological availability of information. But it's it's the fact that we all seek out points of view that agree with what we already believe. And what we read and what we remember from these sources tend to be things we already knew. And so there isn't financially, uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of reward to be someone who keeps challenging your audience that keeps trying to make them look at things in a different way. Um, It, it, uh, you 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 tend to uh be rewarded for preaching to the converted um, yeah. so uh but and and I would be rewarded for doing uh, the same much more but as we were talking about off air and I know off air is a radio term, but uh before we started recording, you know it's like uh I wish I could make that kind of money, but uh it's boring because you know i'm really motivated to find out what i'm made of and uh, that means i i have to keep seeking and keep exploring for myself um and hopefully that makes me a, a more interesting storyteller uh, if not a more successful one but but maybe a more interesting one but it certainly does make me a healthier person and uh, and and a better neighbor and a better friend so um so there's that which is no small thing Uh, But I, you know, one of the things that I think we're uh, kind of kindred on, and we've never talked about this specifically, but, you know, so much of the motivation also, well, so much of the, the, the result of exploring and talk about uh, talking about and revealing, uh, conspiracy, uh, the, the result is so much anger and rage and, uh, um, and it's always struck me that, uh, if you seek to counteract those who conspire, uh, the best way to counteract it is by being someone who seeks to inspire. Um, and what do I, uh, hope to inspire? I hope to inspire, uh, people who come to my work to aspire to, uh, Better things to their higher angels, to their heart's desires. Um, and, uh, you know, people would ask sometimes after seeing the truth is out there, uh, well, what is it that you hoped to prove? As if trying to prove something must be a part of it. But I guess within certain cottage industries, that's true, that the whole reason for being is that you're trying to prove something instead of trying to explore something and so i find myself really doubling down uh at when when putting together the truth is still out there uh to, to make it even more clear uh how much i wish to inspire people to aspire to uh to really w- w- whatever it is that is their heart's desires and um Because whether or not it's by conspiracy or uh, just through uh, humans fucking up all over the place, whatever it is, there's no doubt that there is plenty of darkness all around us. And I think our our responsibility as storytellers, in whatever form that story is, is uh, to to shine a little bit of light in the darkness.
1: You know, I, I... I agree with you. I mean, I, I think you already knew that, but I, I agree with you. And I, and I think for me, you know, when I get latched onto something and I want to figure it out and I share the results of that with the people around me, but I don't share it because I want their adoration or their money. I share it because it's, it's interesting. And I hope my, my, fondest hope is that somebody will read something that I wrote and that it will entice them toward going on a path to figure some more stuff out. Exactly. But, you know, I always I always tell everybody, you know, the one time I spoke at a conference you know, I told them, I said, look, I can't, this is what I got. I can't prove it to you 100%. But I'm also not trying to tell you what the answer is because I don't know. But what I'm trying to do is, is to show you what I found. And then I'm hoping that you guys will go out and then research it yourself and try to find your own, you know, try to find more because I can't, you know, I don't, I don't have the trademark on, you know, the copyright on, on the truth. You go find it too. And I've always told people, you know, I'm no better or worse than you are. I'm the same as you. I just got something stuck in my head. And, yeah. You know, you don't and and the and I'll say, look, don't believe me. Don't believe a goddamn word I say. Take everything that I've told you, write it down, and then go search it out. Because I think if we all break free of this kind of idea that there's a monopoly on on evidence. You know, we'd get a lot further because I I really dislike it when I go to a conference or I listen to the radio or whatever, and some talking head, whether it's a conspiracy guy, UFOs, ghosts, cryptozoology, politics, whatever, I really resent that there's some talking head telling me how to think. And, you know, I've always believed that just present what you got, make it interesting and entertaining to read or watch, and then let people make up their own minds. And that's why we do the podcast. I mean, we're, you know, our intent is to talk to interesting people, hear interesting stuff. Do I believe everything that I've heard or read or seen? Absolutely not. But it's important to get it out there, you know, so that people can make up their own minds and maybe it clicks something in their own head. But that's that's an argument of authenticity,
2: right? That's the exactly. argument. Exactly. Well, it comes right back to that because because you're saying you don't ask anyone to believe you, which is exactly why people can believe you. I come from a standpoint that I think belief is simply good manners. We make such a big deal out of this this um, snap judgment of I believe that I don't believe this. And it's understandable because we live in the center of this information blizzard and we feel like we have to protect ourselves. The truth is that we expand ourselves by holding as many possibilities as we can, by entertaining as many possibilities. Believing someone doesn't mean you have to live your life according to what they have experienced and according to their truths. But like we said, you know if someone's being authentic to you, and if they're being authentic, believe them. It's just good manners. But we feel like we have to protect ourselves from from giving up our precious belief as if we then have a responsibility. And uh, and I just think that our only responsibility, our social contract, is uh, to let those who are treating us uh, in an authentic fashion to feel seen and heard by us. Uh, manners. Yeah. And, you know, and- And- well,
1: it's funny that you mention that because, you know, in, in my, my line of hobbies, uh, you meet interesting people. You know, I had an amazing conversation with an anarchist when I was at Occupy Bohemian Grove. I mean, you just meet the most interesting people. And I talked to a person once who, who was in an alphabet agency. and And I said, well, you know, when you're out there doing stuff, whatever stuff is, because I really don't know. How do you decide whether you can believe them or not? And the response was very interesting. This person said, well, I just believe them all. He said, you know, I'm not here to, to try to figure out if you're lying to me. If you're lying to me, it will become obvious very fast because you can't maintain it. So, you know, this person was like, you just take, take it at face value. This person is telling you this piece of information. Okay, that's what you said. But if it's not true, the, the not trueness of it will become self-evident very, very fast. So the person was like, you can spend a lot of time trying to disprove it immediately, or you can let it work itself out. And if you let it work itself out... Actually, it's more efficient in the long run because it doesn't take very long and you don't have to spend a lot of brain power trying to constantly figure out if people are telling the truth or the lying.
2: There's this uh, wonderful, there's this wonderful, um, uh, poem by the, the the Sufi mystic Hafez and it's it, it it involves uh someone who's had visions of God coming to Hafez and asking if these these visions were true and uh Hafez responds by just asking a, a lot of questions of of the uh the man with the visions and uh and and finally the man with the visions asks aren't, aren't you going to tell me uh whether my visions are true and Hafez says well you know if 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 what you saw led you to being uh, a better person led you to being more responsible led to you taking care of your children and your wives and your neighbors and your friends uh and attending to things and 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 being compassionate and uh uh well then yeah your visions were true um because it would you you know and that's and that's kind of how i uh, that's how I feel. And it's interesting. It's interesting that we never in the movie, and it's not because I cut it out, uh, 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 you know, Olav at all. Uh, the question never came up with any of the people who were talking to us at any point. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? Nobody did. In fact, as you know, some of the people we interview start out with really dire Dark worldviews. People, in some instances, uh, sadly, who are no longer with us, and uh, they had very—I mean, I can't, uh, without giving massive spoiler alerts, tell you exactly how and why their their outlook was so dark. But I mean, it was it was end of days dark. Their their point of view that their own personal research had led them to, and that's their starting point. But a, but a remarkable thing happened when they would be before my camera and they would be on camera being interviewed by Dean, uh, they would realize very early on, not only were they believed, but far more important than that, we valued them for more than the sum of the information they had to offer. We were interested in them. They felt seen and heard and, and, and welcomed to the party, uh, for lack of a better phrase. And, a, and yeah. a stunning thing happened is that all these people, no matter how dark their outlook was, by the end of the conversation with Dean, they would express that they were more hopeful than ever before that things could change. And that would snap our heads back because it, it was like, well, now why are they saying they're more hopeful than ever? And it was when watching the conversations play out that we realized, oh, yeah, because, you know, there's something that transforms in us um, when we realize that we are seen and heard and appreciated. Um, you know,
1: it's it, funny that you, it, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I did an interview once. This, if there's one thing I've done a lot of, it's interviews. And <clears throat> the, the interviewer, I forget who exactly it was. It, it's happened a couple of times. But, you know, my... My particular um, obsession has a very negative end result. That it, it is end of the world kind of kind of bleak and and kind of um, this is nasty. And it was funny because the the guy asked me. He said, "Well, how do you deal with it?" I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Well." You know the the stuff you're you're researching. You know it. The end result of it is is apocalyptic. And I said, well, it doesn't have to be. And he says, well, what do you mean? I said, well, look, if I spend the effort to tell you the the story, if I spend the effort to to tell you what I figured out, as you said, shining the light in the dark corners of of reality, I'm fundamentally Changing the the situation, I'm ca- causing that fork, right? That fork of the outcome, you know, the multiverse concept of, you know, you have these moments that create forks. You can turn left or turn right. Well, you turn right and that ends up you winning the lottery. You turn left and you become homeless and die out, a penniless pauper. But if if in my research, you know, if by expressing it, Right? and saying, okay, these things are real, at least as near as I can tell, somebody out there goes, well, damn, that's, that's shitty. <laughs> you know, I'm going to look into that. Well, look, it is kind of shitty. Then maybe we can do something about it. And, and it, it's not like I think to myself, well, I'm going to change the world or anything like that. But it's, you know, it's the inverse of, of death by a million pinpricks that if you get the information out there People start to think, and just by thinking, they kind of innately change their behaviors. Maybe it means that more people will get solar panels i don't know, but it has well, a, it has a I, downstream I, effect
2: I think there's an, another immediate effect that uh shouldn't be overlooked, and that is um uh, and and I may not have even known about this until. You know, I had feedback at a particular screening, but I remember a woman, a mother came up to me and she seemed really intelligent. In fact, I've kept in touch with this woman and will be uh, seeing her, I think, uh, at, at one point this week, ironically. Um, but uh, but it was at a screening, maybe even at the U.S. premiere of The Truth Is Out There. And she came up to thank me afterwards because she said, I've never been courageous enough to watch. Um, a movie, a documentary about conspiracy theories, um, because almost honestly, oh love, it's almost like you know my feeling about like I'm scared to see because I won't be able to stop seeing. And that was more or less what she expressed about she didn't want to go into the darkness because all she would see then is darkness, and uh and she came away from it, not unshaken, but feeling really good about herself. Because she realized I don't have to exclude or ignore or try to pretend the darkness doesn't exist. I can listen and look and learn and still be all right. And there is no small thing to a human being understanding that they're going to be all right, that they can, they don't have to protect themselves in the center of an information blizzard that they're going to be all right, that they have great capacity to hold the tension of opposite possibilities, and maybe even to grow through that experience. Um, I, I, I'm always struck by you know, the, the, the most apocalyptic of, of thought because um, you know, apocalypse, it's, its true meaning is the lifting of the veil, uh, the great revelation, and there's nothing more terrifying than that. Um, if my reading of human history is, co- is correct, there have been numerous rise and falls of civilization and there, and there no doubt will be again. And so much of what we do, therefore, like uh, the artist and philosopher Lee McCloskey says and the truth is out there, is we're writing uh, notes in a bottle, right? That's what our work. Is. They're notes in a bottle, uh, maybe to each other, but maybe to keep certain concepts alive for future uh, generations. And uh, so what stories is it that we want to leave behind? I would like my stories to be love letters to humanity that let people know these are the nourishing truths of being human. And we don't get to the nourishing truths if we try to pretend The darkness does not exist.
1: Well, sure, I mean, there's always a strong argument that, you know, the darkness is within everyone. So at some level, by embracing the fact that it exists,
2: you can channel it, right? You can make something better out of it. You know? So that's a- And the the medical idea of becoming stronger at the broken places, right? That which gets broken can come back stronger, but only if we pay attention to it. That's true. Yeah, well, that's the problem.
1: <laughs> we have to pay attention to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's funny because, like I said, you know, it he he seemed very shaken by the idea that it it didn't bother me on a daily basis, and I, I explained to him. I said, "Well, you know, I I am a dystopian by nature," and. Because of that, you know, I see the world going in one direction. But that's okay, you know, because I'm here for the ride. And and I said, the other thing I remind them is I said, you know, if if these things are happening the way I think they are, you know, we can do a little bit, our own little bit to make it better. I put solar panels on my roof. You know, I try not to drive too much unless I have to. Although I am an avid uh road tripper
2: yeah oh, i know that's the one that breaks that's the one that breaks my heart too is uh yeah. i never drive yeah. i live in los angeles and i never drive in los angeles um i don't need to even though people think you do you do not but the thing no. that uh, there is no uh substitution for is the road trip especially through america especially through back roads uh, the the two oh, yeah. lane, the two lane blacktop. I want to do a whole show sometime. Uh, Olaf I don't know what the what the what the outlet will be for it. But someday I'm going to do a show, you know, and and feel free if anybody out there has the resources to steal this idea. Go ahead and do it because I would love watching it. But a show <laughs> called of things that aren't here anymore and some things that are, because everywhere we're aware of great great things that used to be, but aren't, and it would be fun to tell stories about them, but it would also be fun at the same time to say, hey, but don't get so depressed that you ignore the fact that this cool thing is still here. And, uh, but you only discover those things again through, uh, and you only discover the country and the people that make up this country. Uh, the I'm the short. supposed red states and blue states, and by the way, I've never seen any blue state or red state. I've just, for the most part, met really generous, kind people, and uh, uh, you know, it's one of the things that when you get on social media, uh, so often, or you go into chat rooms, you get a really distorted view of what people uh, in the in the, the in this country are actually like. Uh, I'll post something on social media and within moments, it's as if I have given an invitation for people to be at each other's throats. And yet I'll look at those people who are fighting and it'll make me so sad because I'll say, you know, all these people, if I called them up and said, hey, I need help, they would drop what they're doing and say, what do you need? Um, You know, our our differences are so small. Compared to all all, all all that we have in our makeup that is similar. But you only get to restore your faith in it, uh and the, the best way I know is through going out and meeting with people and doing these road trips. And you're so right. I I guess oh, yeah. I guess I have to do it on bicycle now. I just yeah. don't. <laughs> well, or can I get that. a solar powered car? Can I get a solar powered car? Is that possible? They do. They do exist. Oh, that would be good. They do, they do definitely exist. But
1: I've been filming them. You know, I have a, I have a penchant for Cold War archaeology and and weird stuff. And so, you know, I'm I'm behind. I have footage for about four more episodes, but I haven't edited, edited them yet. But, you know, I've been filming them, and, and I've been going some weird places. And, you know, I actually, funny enough, I, I did one. Uh I really need to edit them. But I did one on the Voice of America that there's a it's an old propaganda operation
3: from sure, on yeah.
1: NBC for the CIA. And the primary West Coast transmitter is about forty five minutes from where I live. So I drove out there and I I filmed it and I put it up on YouTube and you know, it's not like it gets thousands of hits or anything, but but somebody somebody actually uh, posted a response to the film and they said, Hey, I'm really glad you put this up there. You know, my dad worked there and I've been inside there. He took me to work and and I've seen the inside and it was cool to see what it's become. And that was a part of my life. And you know, that for me was just like gold. That's what I was after. Yeah. You know, but it's, and I go there anyway. I mean, I go to these places anyway, so I might as well just film it you know,
2: why not? As, as I do, obviously have camera will travel. Sure. so it is, uh, camera, um, it's, uh, it's fantastic. Um, I don't know one, how long, how much longer we have because this is breezing by and, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I certainly hope that I'm providing the kind of interview that your listeners find interesting. I don't, you know, uh, oh, yeah. but if, there's if there's anything specifically that you want to, uh, ask me, but I have a question I would love to ask you if that's uh, all right.
1: Yeah, it's fine.
2: Okay. We no format. All right, um, but uh, we, you, you know that um, a while back, I don't remember how long it was, but I documented one of my road trips on, on social media just with a post a posted day of different, different places where I was. And one of them was at the Guidestones and in, uh, in Georgia. Um, yeah. And I think I had included that maybe because we had talked about it. And right. I realized I needed to go and, uh, and shoot, go. shoot this. Um, and it fit in so much with the, one of the major themes uh, of part two of The Truth Is Out There. In fact, we're thinking about making it the ad line for the film and the poster, which is Uh, Thinking about time, you know, concepts of time, and uh, and 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 how time is such a a product of perception, and and uh, but so to play with that, uh, the the ad line might be it's time to start asking better questions because I do feel that all these conversations that seem uh, to be uh, about insoluble problems, the conversations themselves can be elevated if people seek to actually find a way out of the the, the morass of argument and and anger. And so it's time to just phrase better questions. And so I find something like the Guidestones so compelling and delicious because uh, it it almost is all about uh, this totem to the concept of time. And hey, if you don't ask better questions, here's what might result. you said in your response, though, to what I post, you said, I think it's a really scary or really creepy place, isn't it? And I'm curious why you find it to be uh, creepy or scary.
1: Um, that's an interesting question. Um, nobody ever actually asked me that. They they always say, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I think it's kind of creepy. And yeah, Exactly.
2: <laughs> I wanna know what why why that's the feeling that you get.
1: Yeah. So the first thing that, that you have to explain is that it's it's where it is is weird. Um it's not particularly close to anything.
2: It no, so so for kinda, people who are, who haven't Googled it yet, yeah. right? I mean it's known as one of uh, right, America's Stonehenge's. I mean, along the the, right. the gorge in Oregon and Washington is another of America's Stonehenge's. But it's known to some as America's Stonehenge, and it is these pillars with this uh, with what seems to be ancient uh, text and prognostications. But itself, doesn't it allege that it comes from the future? Or
1: no, it it was. Um... So basically, there's a guy, R.C. Christensen, and some people think that that's, that's a kind of a clue to
2: Rosicrucianism. Um, right. It's not a real person, not, not a real name. No, it is definitely no. uh, yeah. a, a fabrication. Yeah.
1: Yes, and, and only one person knew the true identity, and that was a banker um, who handled the, the payment for the thing to be constructed. And he died, so apparently we'll never know who the actual guy was that built it. But basically, it's out in the middle of Georgia. It's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing particularly close to it.
2: No, um, I mean, right I, I, stayed, one... I, I stayed at the nearest hotel, and I think that was a half-hour drive. You know, it's in farming yeah. area. It's, yeah.
1: It's in farmland. It's kind of like Stonehenge, actually. <laughs> Stonehenge is like that, too. There's nothing near it well anyway it's right off the road it's it's a it's a one two lane road one going one one coming one going right and uh it's just kind of um cut off of the corner of this guy's farm that the, you can see the farm all around it and then there's like this little chunk that is that is the guide stones. and there's a there's a gravel parking lot and again it a toward the Rosicrucianism, there's a bunch of uh, rose bushes that surround the parking lot. And then there are these huge granite pillars. And the message, the, there's a message, uh, there are a couple different messages, but the main message is inscribed in, um, I want to say, eight different languages. And it along the side, the wall of the tallest part. And it's it's basically uh, how do I explain it? It's not a prognostication so much as it's it's more like a like a fantasy, you know. And it, it says something like you know, uh, reduce the population to five hundred million, and live in harmony with nature. And there's a whole bunch of stuff, you know, uh, adjudicate law through logic, not through religion. And it's got all this these. Um, kind of points, and it's basically like an outline of of somebody's perception of what the ideal Earth would be with the ideal society, utopian society on that Earth, five hundred million people, beautiful planet, no, you know, no messing around, and then it's translated into Arabic and Chinese, Sanskrit, Russian, the the primary languages of the earth and then there's a a cap on top of it that has a different message i forget what the message is but it is also translated into like swahili sanskrit and a bunch of other stuff then there's a bunch of holes drilled through it that are celestial alignments and then supposedly there's a time capsule there's a key which explains how the the structure works what all the celestial alignments are, and what everything means, and then that sits on top of a concrete pad, and then there's a underneath the pad is supposedly a uh, a time capsule with information in it, and then it, it says this was commissioned by R.C. Christians and Christensen on this date, yada yada. It was commi- you know the time capsule was sealed on this date. The time capsule will be opened on, and then that part is was never filled in. So, it's a monument to you, this somebody's utopian idea of how the earth should be. And I, I think the reason that I think that it's scary is that somebody went to a lot of effort to put it there. They chose that spot for some reason. And that, that reason's never been explained at least not to my knowledge and it's just there and i think the part that's disturbing is is the fact that it's just there you don't really know who made it you don't know what level of authority the people that financed it to put it there and it's maintained the you know the grass is cut the rose bushes are trimmed the parking lot is in good shape and it's clean. And every time there's graffiti on it, magically the graffiti gets cleaned off.
2: Well, that's and the, I think, so I, I love that. I, I mean, I do think it is, you know, it is uh, disconcerting that like it popped up apparently overnight, right? The, yeah. well, the farmer, yeah. yeah. I mean, the farmer didn't see people working on it. Um, no. So it was constructed under cover of darkness and and, and done. Right. And I think that's, uh, you know, uh, really cool and intriguing, but, but I love it. I love that your reaction is that it's creepy and scary. And I'm not saying it's not creepy and scary. And maybe this is my reaction to the creepy and scary, but I just found it really funny. And one of the things that was so funny to me was it's this act of vandalism that now has because it is, right? It's not his property. It's, it's private property. Um, right. And it, it has these cameras up on it. Like you said, the, uh, the graffiti gets taken away right oh, yeah. away. Um, so because, because it is uh, immediately uh, become a, a, a tourist attraction. And it's the only yeah. thing in that area that's going to bring <laughs> visitors through to it.
1: Uh... Yeah, and it's, it, it's odd because, I mean, to me, the part that makes it scary is the mis- is all these things about it. That's what makes it scary, the fact that it is watched. There are cameras, but you don't know who's watching the cameras. the The thing is there, but you don't know who built it. It's got a message, but you don't know the authority and the people who thought this message up. And let's be honest, the message... There are parts of it where you think to yourself, well, that makes sense, you know, adjudicate laws based on logic versus, you know, religion or whatever. Well, you know, live in harmony with nature. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. Then you get to the reduce the population of 500 million. And it's like, look, we got, what, six billion people. What are you going to do the other five and a half billion? You know, that's, that's some mighty big, you know, funeral pyres. So it's like, you know, you, you look at the message and the message is disturbing. Yeah. And the fact that somebody went to this much effort to put in something that's immutable to express that desire. I get that it's this kind of utopian idea. Maybe the earth would be better with 500 million people. Probably.
2: Yeah. Although, unfortunately. um...
1: There's six billion, so that's not going to happen, you know? Well, what I find
2: funny is how, again, something like that gets used as a cornerstone to support conspiracy theories, that there is this systematic effort underway to bring the population down to 500 million. And uh, because, of course, people with such a plan would want to uh, delineate that plan for the rest of us in a farm In uh, upstate Georgia Of course they would Um, Well you know
1: that's that's the thing that's always Perplexed me about conspiracy theories There there is a thing It is a thing Where When they whoever they is Want to do something they tell you They tell you straight up They're like we're going to do this You're like bullshit and then they do it But for whatever reason And I never understood it with a lot of this kind of stuff, they tell you pretty much what they're gonna do, and then they and then you know people ignore it or they don't see it or
2: they don't understand
1: it or whatever and then i, it just, happens. Uh,
2: and then I they constantly it am I constantly am struck though by something that Dean himself said when we were making it's not in the movie, but it's something that he said when we were shooting truth is out there and it, it, it's it's certainly born itself to have. Uh, More than its fair share of insight, this comment that he made all these years ago. But he said when we started, he was beginning to think that the conspiracy theory now is the conspiracy itself because the cottage industry around conspiracy theories um, and the attention given to them, there's no better way to distract from what you were doing than to – than to lend credence to another theory, than to, you know, it's, it's, I'm at that point now, like when, when someone mm-hmm. is yelling to me, oh my God, this is the threat, I find that I want to turn around and look behind me because what am I being distracted from? Absolutely. Um, and, Absolutely. and so that's what this kind of thing feels to me is like this ultimate. Almost P. T. Barnum esque. You kept saying the the words "the thing" just now, uh, talking about road trips. How about the thing in Arizona with all those uh, with all those uh, billboards, right? Have you seen the thing, right. or is it in New Mexico? I, I I always forget. It's somewhere near like the Arizona New Mexico border. But have you seen the thing? The thing is coming. Have you seen the thing? And we show some footage of that uh, in in the truth is out there. But it's this P. T. Barnum esque kind of attraction um, where so that's how I feel about the guidestones uh, is the more time I spend trying to figure out what it means, the more the joke is on me.
1: There's probably a lot of truth to that. (laughs) You know, you know, a classic, a classic example of that, right, is the A-12. You know, the A-12 was the predecessor to the senior seventy one. And it was built under contract by the Lockheed Skunk Works uh, to build a high, CIA funded to build a high speed um, photo surveillance aircraft. When they built it, um, it was actually bigger and longer than the SR 71, and it was silver. And don't ask me what the logic behind making it silver was. I could give you a dozen different reasons why, but it was silver. So when this thing would take off and go flying through the air, everybody would see this silver thing shoot across the sky at Mach 3, Mach 4, whatever. And they'd be like, oh, my God, it's a UFO. The aliens are coming to get us. Or, oh, my God, it's a UFO. Our space brothers are going to save us. And so <clears throat> the CIA at the time was like, hey, you guys want to think that's a UFO? More power to you. Right? They fostered the idea that the uh, A-12 was a UFO. What eventually started to happen was is that groups of people were forming to go out and see it, right? And so you had a lot of these you know, UFO watch groups and watch parties and sightings groups that were going out to go see an A-12. And eventually, the Soviets got wise to this. They said, oh, that's a good idea. So they started infiltrating these UFO organizations with... KGB operatives right? because at that time the KGB was an exterior operation now the KGB obviously doesn't exist and uh, the SDR does it but they would go out and infiltrate these, these UFO groups to go on the sky watches and so the CIA got wise to this and they said well what better way to track KGB operatives than to infiltrate the UFO groups so they go infiltrate the UFO groups to watch the Soviets who have infiltrated the watch groups to go see these planes because the Soviets are convinced that all this weird shit in the sky, these are top-secret aircraft, and the CIA wants to see the KGB guys. So, you know, they're just watching each other. So eventually the UFO groups are like, wait a minute. Who are these guys? They don't dress like we do. They're a little weird, whether they're Soviet or American. They're a little off. And they eventually figured out, well, these are, this. you know, they thought everybody was in the CIA. So they're like, well, these are, everybody, these, all these guys are CIA. Even though some of them are CIA, some of them are KGB, probably some of them are GRU. But whatever, to them, they're like, it's all the CIA. So then they start going, well, the CIA is infiltrating our UFO groups. We must be on to something so more people show up. Right, you know? and it's like, and then the CIA is like, "Oh, now we've got more more nutty people to watch," and it's like, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It was a, it was totally set up. Yeah, and yeah. It, so you know, I will maintain until the day I die <clears throat> that the that the conspiracy theory movement as an entity, ufology as an entity, is its own worst enemy. That it, especially in ufology. You know, you've got the A-listers who are out there speaking at every conference and writing books like it's going out of style and whatever, whatever. And then, you know, you've got these people that spend their hard-earned money to show up and listen to this stuff. But the people at the top chew up and spit out. And this is true of art, too, and like art schools or whatever. You know, the people at the top chew up the people below them and spit them out. I mean, they eat their own young. And Mm. it's like nobody can you know, there isn't this kind of like fostering of investigators or researchers. Mm. it's like when, you know, when I, when I wrote my first book, I, I went on a, I did a bunch of fairly popular, you know, radio shows, podcasts, you know, coast to coast and whatever. And, and I, and by that time, you know, I had, Done a bunch of these, so I had a pretty good idea of how it was going to work. And I went on one in particular that I would never, ever, ever go on again. And the people on it were pretty well known, and it, it was like a, it was like a carnival, you know. They they just they wanted me to, you know. They're like, who don't you like? Well, I, I like everybody. Well, you've got to think that there are certain people that that are full of BS. And I'm like, well, sure, of course they do. Well, who are they? Tell us. And I'm like, no, oh, that's not why I'm here. You know, I'm here to explain explain what I figured out and we can talk about that or we can talk about nothing. It's your choice. Mm. And, and then they kept, they kept like pushing it back because a subset of what I wrote about was some strange things that the Nazis did. And and I will always maintain that the Nazis are sick and, and it was awful and horrendous and abhorrent what they did. And I'm not a fan. I, I think they're evil bastards and they got what they deserved you know, and I hope they took, they all took a, a fast express elevator to hell, but at the same time, they did these things, and it's important for us to understand that, that some of the things that they did, because it has meaning, that, that it means, you know, we took that technology and used it ourselves, and, it, and they kept going back there, and trying to, and it kept being a conversation about Nazism, and it's like, dude, there's a whole bunch of other stuff here besides that, that's just you know, I was just trying to prove that, that they they did some things, and, and I think that they are still active to this day, which you'd be hard-pressed to, to not believe. But it kept coming back to that. And then I remember distinctly that I, I looked in their forum, and, and one guy wrote, oh, he must be a big fan of Nazis. It's like, what?
3: What? Mm, I thought, yeah.
1: you know, Jewish friends? You know, I know people from Eastern Europe. You know, it's like people who, you know, the Nazis killed Jewish people. They killed people from Eastern Europe. They killed intellectuals. They killed people who were, you know, LGBTQ. I mean, they killed everybody who they didn't like. And it's disgusting. And it's like, how could you do that? But that's because, you know, these guys that they, that's what they wanted to do. And, you know, and it's, it's problematic across the entire operation. You get these people who are a listers and like, I've decided that what you said isn't true. Well, the facts say it's true. Well, that, that's okay. I've decided because I'm just smarter than you are. Like you're not smarter than me. You know, you don't have all the answers. Nobody does.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, there's a case to be made for, for example, uh, as um, oh Graham Hancock says in in our movie, right? I mean, sometimes uh, the, the toughest Gatekeepers in terms of knowledge filtering—you're going to find are within your own field. That's true. Um, That's true. And 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 that is also—I mean, I guess it's not a bad place for us to kind of conclude this in terms of, uh, sure. you know, uh, when it comes to things we're not being told or or the uh, the secrecy. The, 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 the conspiracy, whatever you wanna call it, that, that, that contributes to the darkness. Um, right. One response we can have, right? Is not to become the thing we behold. Um, if, if what is frustrating you so much is, uh, is the silence, is the secrecy, uh, is a cover-up, then uh, make sure, Make sure, make sure to be a transparent, open person. Exactly. You know, That's my and, belief exactly. and when I get frustrated about what I'm not being told, I do at the same time force myself to ask the question, well, who is telling me things that I've been ignoring and not listening to? Because uh, th- there's only so far that I have the right to complain about what someone isn't telling me if there are other people telling me things and I'm not listening. Them. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's, yeah, and, and I,
1: you know, a long time ago, I, a classic example of that. I, you know, I help out with Ground Zero sometimes, and a long time ago, one of the listeners, uh, he was a ham radio operator, and he he was listening to uh, the North Korean propaganda for whatever, whatever reason, and he detected a on a subcarrier on a a sub frequency, um, radio transmissions that were, uh, encrypted digital, they were birth signals. And, and so he went to Clyde and tells him, I've got this crazy thing that I've found. I've tried to figure out what it is, but I can't. And so he hands it off, Clyde hands it off to me. He says, Hey, can you figure this out? So I, I go and figure it out. I do the footwork and I you know, I figure out that they're burst transmissions, and they're very powerful, much more powerful than a burst transmitter sh- transmission should be. And I go through this, you know, long story short, I come to the realization that these burst transmissions are meant for something far away from North Korea. A ship, a submarine, something that's way far away. So I write up this whole thing about it, and I explain why I believe what I believe. And here's the evidence, here's the evidence, I, and I post it, and I send it to the guy, and the guy is, is happy as a clam, oh, wow, you know, you figured out what I found, I think you might be right, yada, yada, so he posts a link to me he says, hey, this, on his ham radio forums, hey, this is, this is uh, what the guy f- thinks he figured out, whatever, and he just gets ripped on and ripped on and ripped on, and these ham radio operators are just tearing them apart, tearing them apart, and he's feeling really bad, and I said, look, Just ignore it, right? Because if if what I said is true, then eventually there will be some evidence for it. And all the time while we as a group are fighting about it, arguing about it, and everybody's telling him and me we're full of shit, there's this little tiny boat that's trucking across the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) And nobody notices it because it's just a little cargo ship from North Korea, right? So it goes through the Panama Canal. Nobody notices it. It goes and, and docks in, in uh, Cuba, in Havana. Um, by the way, next to a rather large uh, Russian surveillance ship that was there for quite some time. I don't know if it's still there or not, but having a huge Russian surveillance ship with some radomes uh, sitting in Havana Harbor is not exactly good for us. And, you know, even us conspiracy people, we're all arguing and arguing and arguing when we should actually be paying attention. And so one day I'm looking through the news and I'm thinking to myself, man, I must have got this shit wrong. You know, these guys, they know more about ham radio or radio than me. I must have got this all wrong. And then I find this little tiny article about a, a ship from North, a Carter ship from North Korea had gone through the the locks in Panama, Panama Canal. And as part of that, the Panamanians had requested that the ship stop and they searched it because, you know, they, they interdicted because, you know, there's a lot of things that they can't carry and there's trade embargoes and all that stuff. And lo and behold, they found a whole bunch of stuff that they didn't even know what it was. They couldn't even figure out what it was. So they call us up us up. in the United States. The United States sends some military advisors down there. Lo and behold, there are parts for a, a ballistic missile. Mm-hmm. Basically, there were like three separate ballistic missiles that had been disassembled and put in the cargo hold of the ship. And they seized it, of course. But funny, funny enough that, that that little article, although it probably still exists, that little article spawned about three other articles, and then it vanished off the face of the earth. Because we were going to be arguing and arguing and arguing. The the North Koreans went to Cuba to go pick up a bunch of ballistic missiles and bring them back to to you know North Korea. So wow. you know, it, it goes to show you that while those ham operators were arguing, somebody else wasn't arguing, and they were listening to it and trying to decrypt it. And eventually, they figured it out. So when the ship came through, they knew exactly who to send. Yeah,
3: because
1: they didn't. You know, they didn't argue about it. They took it at face value. It's just absurd. <laughs> wow,
2: that's but, great. Uh, that's great. Like that. All right. Well, I look forward to getting to talk to you again. And uh, yes. because thank you for uh, coming on. Oh my goodness, I have so many uh, projects rolling around in my head now based on stories you've told in the last half hour, oh, uh, that like, I want to make into a movie. So we need to, so we need to talk about that. Um, Hey, am I allowed to plug a couple of websites?
1: Absolutely plug away.
2: Oh, okay. So we will get our podcast up and running again and, uh, people can find it at chillpackhollywood.com dot com. C H I L L P a K com. In the meantime, Uh, All our shows that we've done uh, through the 12 years are archived and available at blogtalkradio.com slash chillpackhollywood. And if people are interested in checking out The Truth is Out There, uh, this is a movie that was made by Truth Seekers for Truth Seekers. It's truly independent in that there has never been a company behind the financing of it or the distribution of it because we wanted – uh, not only our audience, but the people in the movie to know that uh, nobody was seeking to exploit anyone uh, in the making or in the selling of this. So if people want to find it, we will have a website uh, built for the new one for part two at some point. But until that movie is done, uh, people should just go to deanhagland.com, deanhagland.com, and one of the pages on there is about. Uh, the documentary, and uh, they can get their own copy. So that's it, Olav. Uh, always delightful. Thanks for letting me pontificate on your show for uh, a night.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure, and thank you for coming on. And again, if you haven't seen the truth is out there, go watch it. It actually really is awesome, and uh, you need to see it. <laughs>
2: Well, hours that, of that is, bonus footage too On the Blu-ray and the DVDs yes, Hours
1: That's true, <laughs> hours and hours Well that's uh, been another thrilling episode Of the Paranoia Podcast uh, Once again we had Soul Awareness on uh, Amazing filmmaker Of many different movies um, All of which I have seen The ones I have seen are amazing Carl uh, Rove I Love You Is one of my favorites
2: uh, anyway,
1: thank you. Um, oh it's a good movie Anyway, so um, we'll be back uh, with another podcast, hopefully next week. But you know us, we're flaky, so sometimes we skip a week or two. But we're trying to do them on a regular basis. Big news, if you want to subscribe to the magazine, you can subscribe now. Yes, I've been bitched out enough that you can't subscribe to the damn magazine. So now you can. Uh, We do it through Patreon. Makes it really easy for me uh, because we're a very small operation. So please check us out. There's a big subscribe button on paranoiamagazine.com. You can find us on Facebook at Paranoia Magazine. Uh, we're on Twitter at Paranoia Mag and Instagram at Paranoia Mags. You can watch my misadventures in cold war archaeology and my penchant for baking. You no, know, I really <laughs> do bake. I made I made bread today. I made Hawaiian bread today. But uh, again, thank you for listening. Um, we love our listeners. Send us a message if there's something that you want to hear. Uh, Send us a message if you have a question. Send us a message. We're easy to find. You can email us. You can contact us on Facebook. We do respond. Um, And thanks again for listening. So since Ron isn't here, I'll do it myself. Be excellent to each other. Aloha. And um, good night.
0: Thank you for listening to Paranoia Radio. Hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine. Read it now. Paranoiamagazine.com Intro theme, The Guide, is composed by Scott Moon. Scottmoon.net Outro theme, Fighting Trousers, is by Professor Elemental. ProfessorElemental.com over written and performed by Mr. Lobo, host of cinema insomnia. Watch new episodes on OSI 74. Visit us at OSI74.com. We are resuming control. For now.